0: ITBroker.com Tech Deep Dive. I'm Max Clark, and I'm here with Danny and Tim from Exidium, and today we're going to talk about MDR and all things Exidium, and and really what the world means now. So, uh, Danny, Tim, thank you for joining, and uh, why don't you introduce yourselves and share your official titles, and let's and let's get into it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to be here. Uh, Danny Pickens, RVP of Channel Sales for our Western uh, region, and I will turn it over to Mr. Bandos.
2: And I am Tim Banos, I'm our Executive Vice President of Sock Services, so I run our managed detection and Response.
0: Okay, so you should know a few, a, little, a little about what you guys do then. Let me let me, let me tee this up here and I'll prompt you. Um, Exidium is a acquisition merger roll-up rebrand, is, is what I understand, so there's a lot of history that goes on. If you just look up Exidium, you find a very short amount of details, So then if you actually start clicking down into it, you find a lot more. So can you give me the backstory and how Exidium came to be, and, and uh, what you guys do, and where you fit in the market?
1: Yeah. Great. No, you actually nailed it. It is a rebrand. We rebranded as Exidium last year in 2022, but we have a long history uh, in the SSL certificates as the brand Komodo. And so as we started to move forward and look at this next-gen technology and cybersecurity uh, services for endpoints, we knew that we needed to have this new brand that we could move forward with with that vision and long-term strategy.
0: I'm old enough that I've actually purchased SSL certificates from Komodo. So <laughs> that name I'm very well, it familiar dates, with. dates back to
2: 1998. So yeah, we, we definitely I'm, go back. I'm
0: definitely old enough. So what is Exidium now? What are you guys focused on? What do you do? What separates you from the pack? You know, high, Give me high level and then we can get into the weeds.
2: Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, Exidium, I mean, we're a complete endpoint protection platform that offers you know, people and process behind that technology, right? So we offer managed detection response, XDR, you know, extended detection response. If you want us to consume third-party data sources and monitor that activity as well, we do that. We've got a 24 by 7 SOC team. Uh, we've got reverse engineers, malware analysis. Um, you know, we build out a complete stack of capabilities to address all of those different needs. So next generation antivirus, firewall, host intrusion prevention, we've got something called auto containment or zero dwell containment, which I'm going to discuss a little bit later. Um, and then on top of that, we wrap all those services around it.
0: I don't want to throw you completely off the rails. I'm going to give you two keys here and talk me through this. Let's go start to finish. And I'm going to take some notes and then I'm going to we're gonna get into it because I've got I don't know probably like 500 questions already, so I don't want to get too distracted. That sounds awesome. That sounds great. Yeah, Let's go.
1: Yeah, I, I tell you what, just to kind of talk about who Excidium is, um, what it looks like. I'll start off with just a quick slide to cover the company information, and then we'll get into the real uh, fun stuff with Bandos, showing what exactly our platform looks like. So I will share my screen here. All right. So to recap, founded in 2022, but again, that was from our rebrand. We have a focus around the endpoint security. We have our Exidium's patented zero dwell technology, which we're excited to show you today, but it uses kernel API virtualization to isolate or move threads like zero day malware and ransomware before they cause any damage. We have 6,000 plus customers that we're working with and servicing today. and 27 patents here, that note, that's gonna really be a big part of our strategy and how we go to market with that zero dwell technology. We're not sharing that with anyone else right it's a little bit of a busy slide but again wanted to condense this to get over to the real fun stuff that bandos is going to walk us through we do have some fantastic awards and accolades one of our latest that we've not had time to put on here is from frost and sullivan we won their uh 2022 strategy uh, for Cybersecurity. and down below is our nascar slide as i like to reference it some of those great customers that are in our customer base of those 6,000 plus uh, folks, you see shell UPS store, Jimmy John's, some really fantastic, uh, logos there that we work with.
0: Part of Exidium is you have your own endpoint I and mean, this is software that you wrote that was developed originally under the Komodo name. And then part of it was open sourced and released. I mean, I found a, I think a GitHub repo for this. So it is, is that still part of this portfolio where you're basing your MDR, XDR, EDR endpoint services on top of your own IP for this, for this endpoint?
2: yeah i mean back around 2017 2018 is really when we started to develop this technology right the whole endpoint protection platform and one component of that platform is endpoint detection response so edr technology the ability to collect telemetry process creates registry activity you know things that you typically see from other edr vendors um our you know founder of this organization wanted to open source this he believes detection should be free Right. We got to make some money though. So we charge for protection, but detection should be free and available. So we open source that just recently. So anyone can go out to GitHub, download it for free. They can um, stand up their own environment or they can even leverage Exidium services and our backend for free for, for three days storage. So they can install the EDR agent. All that data can go up into our Exidium SIM. We give you these nice, beautiful visualizations, capabilities for alert triage. Once again, three days for free, not a problem.
0: I feel like a lot of companies right now when they're looking and they're they're dipping their toes into cybersecurity, you know, it starts with, um, like endpoint is usually the first thing on that list. Let's go find an endpoint. From there it turns into, okay, how do we manage this? And then it becomes, what do we layer on as well, right? So sims come into play. And then this fire hose of data starts coming into it. So for companies that are somewhere in that journey already, you know they've they've purchased an EDR, they're looking at um, you know rolling out E five security from Microsoft. How does that story change um, with Exidium? I mean, are you are you taking that EDR that already exists and feeding it into your platform if they're going MDR with you or? Or XDR with you, or end up being a replacement where you're going to take and and displace that EDR that's already in place and use your own tech on those on those desktops.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I think you know we do a little bit of both. We have the ability to ingest additional EDR data sources, but you know, really our go-to mark strategy is to replace. It's a rip and replace, right? Because we think our technology is the best. We have you know protection capabilities layered in with all that additional visibility. We want to leverage our own technology to do that. Um, however if organizations are already signed up with other EDR vendors that's fine because there's other data sources for us to additionally monitor you know for XDR services so we'll layer in that as well so if we want to consume firewall you know office 365 cloud services all those integrations are built into our technology and we we take all that data and store it in our centralized sim as well up to a year's worth uh, of you know queryable data and we'd also do you know advanced correlation rule sets against that data set
0: this is becoming a, a bigger and bigger spaghetti mess for people where it's, you know, we started with this thing where we had Splunk for centralized logging data and then we turned it into our SIM. And so now we've got this thing that we're feeding data into and what do we do with it? And then we went out and we got this EDR and then we need to figure out what to do with it. And then we decide that we need incident response capabilities or remediation uh, capabilities. And I feel like a lot of the conversations I'm in with companies and with our clients is, is just trying to take stock of what's already deployed and, and what can be replaced, what can't be replaced, what's invested, what's not, I mean, just in navigating through that that. So as you're dealing with, I mean, you've got organizations, you know, your NASCAR slide, you've got big names there. This isn't like you're going to go walk into some, some, you know, multi tens of thousands of seat company and say, okay, you know, go and rip out everything that you have. But how much of that journey really comes into that conversation of trying to take stock of what's there and figuring out how to, I don't want to say like rip and replace isn't necessarily always available with people, right? It's just, it's, you know, there's just a a time and people.
2: You're right, Max. Um, You know, the rip and replace strategy is probably one of the most difficult, right? Because they're already familiar with the endpoint technology they have, they're already familiar maybe with the name that they already have. Exidium hasn't been around in a long time. Komodo has, but our technology, you know, since 2017, 2018. So how do we prove ourselves in the marketplace? Um, one thing that we do do um, for from a go to market strategy is we layer in our auto containment technology. So uh, if a customer already has a crowdstrike or maybe they're just leveraging Windows Defender, um, we can take our patented technology, our containment piece, where we block unknown threats, right and add in an additional layer of protection you know for the, the customers that focus on, that unknown activity. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today in our slides of how we approach cybersecurity and how we prevent unknown threats from even executing in the first place. And then we layer in, you know, MDR services, etc. If, if if they want to subscribe to that,
0: um, I'm very interested in, in in understanding more about this and. At some point, I'm really curious also for your definition of MDR versus XDR, because I'm seeing, you know, there's there's this big push always in tech marketing of like, let's layer on a new term and try to own that term, but that term doesn't really mean anything. And then other people start coagulating around that term. So
2: yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Should we just dive right into it? Go start going through the slides. I agree. It can get confusing. Let me see if we can kind of clear that up. Uh, let me share up my screen here. All right. Exidium services. So let's just go right into it. Um, We'll skip this slide about me. I'm important, but not that important. Let's go into Exidium Services. All right. So we offer this uh, a variety of different ways, right? So we have something called Exidium Advanced, and this is for customers who just want to leverage our technology stack and manage it themselves. We have Advanced Endpoint Protection, which includes, you no know, next-generation antivirus, HIPS, firewall. They have that zero dwell containment capability, which I'll go into in a moment. We have endpoint detection response, which is that visibility arm, right? So giving you root cause analysis of how something, you know, ended up on an endpoint. You know, we do a great job at blocking malware as soon as it, you know, drops um, and stopping it and preventing it. But customers also want to know how did it even get there? You know, was it an end user that clicked on a link or an attachment or went to a drive-by download site? This is all important from, you know, a security awareness perspective or, you know, additional security layers that need to be applied or improved upon. And then we also have this endpoint manager uh, feature as well, where we have patch management capabilities. We have the ability to remotely, you know, desktop into additional devices and manage mobile devices, right? So we kind of give you a full, you know, uh, you know, technology stack, right? Of of next gen antivirus, EDR, and then RMM, remote monitoring and management capabilities as well. So that's the Exceedium Advanced package. That's if customers want to manage themselves, up to them.
0: You said it twice. So you're including in advance patch management and RMM with the service. I am. Okay. That's huge.
2: Now, for customers who are, you know, want to slightly manage it, maybe they want to manage the technology but they want, you know, someone to triage the alerts that are coming in. We offer something called MDR guided, right? It's it's really just alert triage and analysis level 1, you know, analyst looking at alerts that are coming in, right? We'll generate high fidelity threat notifications based on that activity that comes in. Um, but that is one component that we can, if customers are just dipping their toe into the MDR field. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to call it an MDR, but it's slightly managed, right? We're, we're really just kind of offering some stock capabilities there. Where we really go to market though, and what we've been focusing on over the last you know, year is, is providing a full end-to-end managed service, whether that's called Exidium Managed or Exidium Complete. so those are two different services the fully managed service offering and one that includes extended you know detection response and i'll show you what Mm -hmm. that means in a moment the way that we look at it is you know four primary pillars in in terms of offering an mdr service this is how i at least perceive it you know along with exidium right is is one having that complete visibility component right and this is where we provide our technology the advanced protection our edr and then we have something called uh, network traffic visibility we have a network sensor that can be deployed to environments that want to have that you know, XDR, you know, flavor. So this provides packet inspection, it's got a built in IDS, it has the ability to also ingest third party data sources. So if you want us to consume Windows event logs, active directory logs, firewall logs, Linux logs, any log source, we have the ability to do that and then send it to our Exidium SIM for alert. Is this
0: installs. a physical aff- appliance or a virtual?
2: It's a virtual appliance okay. comes as an ISO okay. file can be downloaded and deployed as you know, much as they want, right throughout the, the environment. Um, and really, What we do with that data is we you know analyze it for anomalous behaviors and trends and identify you know root causes of you know particular attack Mm -hmm. vectors and this goes across endpoint network and cloud so we have integrations with cloud sources as well on top of that we have our SOC team i know you're gonna think i'm crazy after this one but you know we do offer the 24 7 365 day year iron glass but we also offer for free at no additional charge incident response services and when I say incident response services, I mean full end to end digital you know, digital forensics and response. So if there is a breach in an environment, right, we'll provide that, that eyes on glass, that analysis, you know, a full breach report neutralization, you know, from A to Z, you know, walking in a client through an IR. Now you might say, Tim, you guys are an endpoint protection platform. Why aren't you stopping the malware? We do a lot of that, but there are, you know, certain situations where maybe there's a vector that's open. Maybe, you know, a client stands up an RDP server and forgets to install Exidium, or there's some vector that we don't have visibility to and they move in laterally like a supply chain attack. All right you can still be breached even though having, even though you have you know an endpoint protection platform in place and we'll provide that ir making sure that we neutralize that threat and that you know they aren't successful you know in the case of like a ransomware being deployed right throughout
0: the so, wait I, you're probably going to get into this in response a little bit here actually talk about response and then and then I'm going to ask this question
2: yeah the real time response right we're enabled through our technology and this is that rm m capability that allows us to automate forensic collection block activity in real time we can isolate endpoints from the network um, we have the ability to executing custom commands or custom scripts or third party tools. And when you have that capability, the sky pretty much becomes the limit. You can do whatever you need to do, right, across a fleet of devices, uh, and that's incredibly useful during an IR, right, because then you can start pulling back all that digital forensics that you need, right, memory analysis, and then provide those answers. You know.
0: There's a there's a pretty big line, right, Where we talk about a company that wants, that's looking for tools and a platform, and they want to manage themselves. And then a company that wants tools and platform and advice and expertise. And then a company that wants, um, or a CIO that wants, Hey, I don't want like to worry about somebody calling somebody and looking at something at two o'clock in the morning, I just want it taken care of and dealt with, even if taking care of it and dealing with it just means unplug it from my network until we can deal with it on Monday morning, you know, talking through, you know, going and going into RMM. If they're on a managed platform or a complete platform, will you quarantine, disconnect, disable, whatever you want, what terminology is appropriate here? You know, if some endpoint does something or or starts behaving strange or something happens to the network, at what point are you going to be in, it's called auto mode for a company? Is that available to them?
2: It is available. And that all comes with the initial terms of engagement when we, you know, enroll or onboard the the client because we want to make sure they're comfortable with us doing that sort of, you know, neutralization effort. And we actually had to do this Literally on Christmas Day of last year, where we couldn't get a hold of a client, but he had authorized us, pre-authorized us to take any sort of action that we needed to take. We had saw some activity of lateral movement from a device that we didn't have access, we didn't have our Exidium, you know, uh, technology installed on. We had to immediately start isolating, you know, the network, right? So because we knew this was a ransomware operator. Um, based on threat intelligence, you know, observed, we saw their tactics and techniques. We knew what, what, what the end goal was. So we immediately cut that access off to them until we were able to actually get in touch with, with the CEO of the company. Um, so sometimes it, you know, just doesn't happen. It's it's difficult to get in touch with people. We, we escalated through the whole chain. Um, but thankfully that we had those terms of engagement in place prior to that event occurring, otherwise they might have been successful, right? Because there's only so much we can do as long as they authorize us to do so. But, but that is part of- the How would
0: you go about dealing with that? Because uh, you know some some people talk about, hey, you know, we have a network appliance that's plugged in and we can issue TCP resets. So that way we can effectively disconnect something from the network by just not allowing it to talk to anything else to the network. Right. Others will focus on saying, okay, we're gonna have access to your network equipment and we're gonna have um, permissions to your firewalls or permissions to your switches. If you've got your agent running on a desktop and you've got your endpoint running, right? You have control and you have access and visibility to that endpoint, but if you have something a fish tank right the fish tank gets compromised you know what's what's the like general approach in order to take action if the without the client if the client gave you you know permissions to take action on their behalf and you can't reach them
2: yeah i mean that's a nightmare mm-hmm. scenario to be honest with you if there's a fish tank infected and we don't have access to that and we can't get in in touch um it's possible it's happened I, i'm sure that can happen it has yeah. happened I mean, Right. i wish um, that was an imaginary we've seen, we've story but like it's not an imaginary story yeah i've i've been a part of silly, crazy cases like that as well. We've had telecom employees come in backdoor the routers. Like, how do you even detect that, right? When it's an employee of another company, but they're working for a nation state, it's impossible to detect. Um, But it's a great question. Like, what do you do in that sort of scenario? we would do everything we could to get in touch because we don't have access to network devices, right? It's a great, like we can only do so much with our network sensor in terms of IDS and, you know, doing resets. But yeah, if we don't have access to that aquarium, that's a problem because they're going to attempt to, you know, continue to move laterally, especially if they have credentials at that point. Um, You know, it might even come down to us executing commands to, you know, Lock out accounts, right? Because we have complete domain administrative access with our technology. I mean, you can log into the AD as a system user and then start running commands. So those are doomsday scenarios. Uh, we haven't had to do that yet, but it is available at, you know, to us. But
0: it's there. So, I mean, the, the point of this is if it got to that level, and people are at a Christmas party and have had too much punch, you're going to take care of it and do whatever, you know, if if you, if they've been, if they've, if they've said and signed up and said, we want you to, to take care of this. And if you can't get a hold of us, go crazy, do what you need to do. Like you're going to do it. Okay.
2: I'd have to leave my Christmas party to do it, but I would do it because that's what I've signed up for. That's my job. Right? So yes, that, that, that sort of scenario does happen. That's a great question. So Kind of back to where we left off on the um, RMM piece. So, in addition, like right, to all those different capabilities in terms of response, you know, we also have that patch management visibility and the ability to, you know, patch operating systems, patch third-party applications, right? So we can run reports to see if there are any vulnerable devices and what those vulnerabilities, uh, you know, look like from a criticality perspective. And then with a click of button, we can patch those, you know, those devices. So,
0: so mobile device management. I mean, are you talking cell phones here, iPhones, Androids, tablets? Um, Okay, interesting. So um, how deep are you getting into the MDM or UEM space with this software? I mean, is this something that you would displace an Intune with? Or, you know, um, I mean, how...
2: I'm sure my company would love for me to say we can displace that. Um, But the way I look at it from a range of capabilities, um, you know, we have the ability to wipe. We have the ability to apply policies, you know, to prevent applications from running and whitelisting. We're not like a full suite. That isn't our core... I think capability, but we offer it and it's available to customers and we do have a good number of customers that do leverage it, um, you know, as a service, but I don't, Kind of depends, right? On you know the size of the customer and what they want to do. Because if it satisfies those use cases, then
0: I have some organizations that are trying to adhere to NIST Cope. So they want to have a corporate-owned, personally enabled device, you know, a cell phone. So right now, you have to have containers on that cell phone to actually say, okay, we can remote wipe the corporate data on this device, or we can inspect traffic interacting with corporate data. But like, we're not going to delete your photos off the phone. It's a very specialized kind of MDM UEM you know platform for that data can only be accessed by corporate owned devices. And so then how do you deal with that? And and it's and you kind of like touch into these things where it's like it's not really a CASB, it's not really a DLP rule, but you have this kind of thing in between where it's like we want to make sure that we have a certificate on a device and that certificate is inspected. And it's a relatively lightweight thing to say, okay, you know, push out this config, but it still has to be there and be in place. And and you know then you, you get into this dialogue around how many different agents are running and how fat, you know, how much resources do you have on a machine? And like, you know, that becomes an interesting conversation.
2: It does. Um, and. You know, to get to that level of granularity, it's, uh, you know, we're just not there, right? From our perspective, we offer, I mean, we even offer a DLP functionality where we do light DLP for data loss prevention, but it's not a primary, you know, go-to-market strategy either, right? It's just, if you want us to stop or prevent PCI or, you know, HIPAA data from leaving your organization, we can have a rule that that does that, but we're not like, um, you know, I was going to say digital guardian, because that was the last company I was with that just got acquired, but we're not like a digital guardian with a full range of capabilities and data loss, you know? So I I think it comes down to use cases, right? Yeah. Like what are you looking to solve? And if it's light, then we could definitely solve it.
0: I, I'm still surprised to see these bullet points on the slide. So I'm 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 just digging into it a little bit.
2: You know, on t- in terms of, you know, how we, you know, where we also get augmented is, is there are threat intelligence mm-hmm. piece. We've got something called Exidium Verdict Cloud, which is kind of similar to uh, like a virus total, but not in the sense where we have a million different AV engines running. It's really just our own. But really what Exidium Verdict Cloud does is it verdicts every single, you know, sample that, you know, is collected, either it be, you know, trusted or if it's unknown, we do a static analysis, a dynamic analysis of it, and we provide a verdict to it. You know, is it safe or is it malware? And this ties into you know our, our unknown protection, right? Our, our our containment capabilities, which I'll show you in a moment. Um, but it's nice because you can search any hash, you know, on the site, and it's for free to sign up too. Um, and you get all the metadata details associated with that binary, what it does dynamically, um, you know, what, what you know where we would put that in terms of the threat. Like, is it a piece of ransomware? Is it a backdoor, rootkit? So it's got a, a ton of different features in terms of you know the the amount of data that we report on each and you know every individual binary that gets uploaded. Um, we got a team of around 40 plus, uh, you know, threat researchers and reverse engineers too that you know is in this organization. So they're working day in and day out, you know, looking at binaries all the time. Then on top of that, we also do you know behavioral based rules and you know MITRE mapping, you know, to the MITRE attack you know framework, mm-hmm. and that gets layered in with our our, our EDR telemetry as well.
1: And Max, that Exidium verdict cloud, that's actually public facing. So you can go to our website on that and see that anytime. It's really cool. We'll have to take uh, take a look at it later on.
0: You know, having having Threat Intel or or having something where you're taking and you're taking um, you know, cert feeds and, and you can and you can correlate this. The nightmare scenario for most organizations isn't necessarily like there's something that matches a signature that's already known. It's, you know, it's these modified binaries, you know, true zero-day attacks, you know, things that that look okay but aren't okay and it feels like the percentage of that is actually increasing you know now of course with all these different ai tools and stuff coming out when, when we look at like phishing attacks and whatnot you know the sophistication is increasing because they have just access to they can increase the volume of what they're you know what an attacker is actually doing and it's easy for them to increase that volume how, how does like the zero day factor into all these things like
2: again yeah i mean that's it's a, a great another good question um you know i was used to work for a large manufacturing company 200 plus year old company had you know, millions of trade secrets, every single you know incident that we ever worked, you know, in this particular organization, every single indicator was not something known to the world. So there's no threat and tell, you know, list or feed that matched up with that hash or matched up with those capabilities. Like, yeah, maybe the techniques that the adversary use, like maybe they use two letter binaries, like tb.exe out of, you know, a particular directory, like the behavior was maybe something you could line up, but there's no threat intelligence that could have mapped to that. We dealt with that. Every single day, um, you know, we subscribe to a million different threat intelligence sources as well. Nothing helped us in that particular field, which is why we really always focused on the behavior, right? Like, you know, lateral movement activity. So if, you know, just because the name of the binary was TB.exe, if you look at some of the other metadata, it might have been, you know, Sysinternals PsExec. exec. So if you see those two as a correlation rule. That's a mismatch right like we know internally, no one would ever use a you know a renamed you know binary such as PS exec so it always kind of comes down to you know when you're doing threat hunting or pivoting and looking through that data. Those are the types of things you got to look at like what is normal behavior versus what kind of stands outside those lines and that's where you start to identify you know potential zero days. Um, You know, one thing that we used to do with looking for you know, beaconing activity, command and control activity, right? We would, you know, aggregate all that data. We would look at all the sites that it went outbound to, and we would look for, you know, pings, you know, once a day to a, you know, specific site over a week period. You know, if we only saw seven over the course of seven days, that might be indicative of, you know, a command and control, like something phoning home. Um, you know, that type of stuff was, and we were hugely successful back in 2008, 2009 with that approach, because malware, you know, was you know, pretty straightforward from that perspective, that be- it becomes harder today, right? The beginning activity, you know, going out to Twitter and pulling down something from an image file and then doing something like, how do you detect that? You know what I mean? It becomes more of a nightmare scenario for us.
0: 20 years ago, I was working for a company and I was asked to block Yahoo Instant Messenger and we started going through it and it turned out that like it would start failing back into more and more commonly used services and like one of the last failover you know failbacks was like um actually going to yahoo.com port 443 and you're like okay great how do we block this (laughs) right you know like it's like okay i can block this now but we have to literally block all of yahoo traffic in order to block this thing it was it was really impressive it becomes impossible
2: yeah i mean we had a threat actor one time leverage our internal microsoft link or what is teams today link server as a command and control they were able to find a route out and Like literally going, I mean, going under the radar is another, like an understatement. We were only able to detect it because there was a a web shell that was, you know, beaconing that activity through our link server. We're like, what is this? So that's what, once again, comes down to, you know, kind of threat hunting and looking for these anomalies, right?
0: Across MDR services, you know, fit into kind of a defensive and reactive, you know, approach, right? You're, you're trying to, um, identify, contain, and then, and then react and clean and remediate you know, an event that's happened and taken place. And part of the security word soup that we deal with, you go into like more of these like, uh, I don't wanna say like offensive measures, but you know, if you you look at, you know, segmentation, zero trust, um, secure web gateways, remote browser inspection, you know, these these other, this other kind of like shell that's coming on. When people are looking at and trying to decide like, okay, should I go out and deploy and go full sassy and have, you know, an agent with, um, you know, protected network internet access with everything flowing through our gateways and, and traffic everywhere and, you know, effectively segmentation on our network is, should we do that? Or should we go after the endpoint MDR, you know, IR, you know, side of it? Or what's the contrast there? And, and how do people make sense of this?
2: I like how you said sassy. Uh, yeah, like, do you go down the sassy route? For sure. I mean, I, I think it- I think it depends on, you know, the size of the organization, where they are at, you know, from a strategy perspective, I think the end goal would be to kind of get to that zero trust, right? Functionality. But what's mind blowing to me, Max, is it's, it's, oh, it's this low hanging fruit stuff that just still gets exploited. It's like 80% of these attacks a lot of times just happen because of a link that someone clicked on or an attachment, right? It's not something that's Yeah. Email it's email. Like that, that is the primary vector a lot of times, or once again, an RDP server that stood up and they have weak domain admin credentials on that server that they're able to brute force their way in. So no two factor authentication. It's these basic controls that organizations just don't put in place. So. Even before you get to like the whole sassy and zero trust thing, like just get the basics down first.
0: I mean, at this point, you know, having some sort of two factor or MFA enabled on, look, that's table stakes at this point. And there's, a, and there's a lot that don't run it, which is amazing. And, you know, organizations that are not on Microsoft 365 or are not in Google workspace. It's just like, what are you guys doing? Move to one of those platforms and enable. You know mfa and use that platform's mfa capability and it gives you so much just doing that which you're already paying for which is like the core of you know of 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 collaboration and and productivity at this point it's like just just do that start there security maturation model right it's it's like oh you know here's this ladder of of steps that come up to like you know like oh you're down here with no security and you're the nsa over here right and then i like now like pick you know pick which one you want and it's like there's it's not like oh i want like i want like a 2 out of a 5 on a scale you know it, it, i think the security industry in the whole is, isn't really doing a lot of service for itself or you know or for its customers of what is the the steps that you take and say okay you know we've got the basics we've got two factor enabled and we've got SSO enabled and we can we have an IDP and you know st- you know identity we have our identity covered now what do we do?
2: You know, they, they call that the journey, right? The security mat, you know, maturity going through that entire journey. But I agree with you, it's like all rated on a one to level five, like how mature am I? Um, I think it's taking those baby steps first. And that's why, you know, we, we try to solve a lot of those problems with an MDR type service. Like if you're not going to do a lot of those table stake type things, at least monitor for it so that you at least know you have a problem or a threat, uh, you know, within your organization, a lot of the organizations that we work with are smaller businesses, it could be like a dental office, right? That has 30 or 40 endpoints, but it still needs protection, right? Because, you know, they get held up for ransomware as well. And if they get hit by ransomware, they, they might not be able to afford a million dollar ransomware note, right? So, you know, they don't look at security like we do. They're not hiring a CISO. They're not hiring even probably someone ahead of, you know, security. It's just like an IT guy who wears a hat of security who might just dabble in it. And I don't think they're ever going to get to that point. And that's really where we try to kind of, Wedge ourselves in right and is, is a lot of times those organizations who need assistance who are that's why we consider ourselves MDR for the masses, right? It's not just, you know, the large enterprises or organizations that have 20, 30,000 endpoints. We've got customers like that, but we really try to also fit in those spaces where it's, you know, 500 endpoints, 1,000 endpoints because they have no I don't want to say. I mean, I'm not trying to belittle them, but they have no clue from a cybersecurity perspective what they're really. This,
0: the scary conversation I get to have is, um, "Oh, we've we've uh, enabled Defender and Sentinel for Microsoft, and we've got it covered." And you're and you're just like, "Okay, I don't think you actually know what that means." You know, for most of these situations, it's an eventuality. Like you will have a cyber incident. It's just it's an eventuality. And uh, are you prepared for it? And can you re- react to it? You know, become very critical for companies and and make a huge difference in the impact of the organization, the financial impact of the organization, the brand impact of the organization, you know, whether or not they're going to recover from that event in the first place or not.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of times it also comes down to price point, you know, these, you know, smaller organizations don't have, you know, allocated budget for a lot of these advanced cybersecurity solutions. So, you know, Exidium saw that as an opening where let's make ours a little bit more affordable, right? We'll still make some gross margin there, but let's make it affordable that these smaller shops can have an MDR service and get protected at the same time. And we've been relatively successful. I mean, we've you know we've done pretty well over the last year and a half, just focusing on that segment of the market because they can't afford you know some of the big names, which I won't drop, but you know some of the big names. So that's how we structure our MDR service. You know, in terms of deliverables, they always want to know like, what do I get out of this service? Um, this is what what we provide, right? So the 24/7, 365 days a year, are eyes on glass alerting. That means level one through level three triage and analysis. You know, we do weekly and monthly reporting. Do our customers look at all those reports? Probably not but there's a nice, a lot of trends and stuff in there that will give them insight, you know, executive summaries, you know, here's the value that the service is providing. We do all the profile and policy management so they don't have to worry about it, right? They buy the technology stack from us and we, we do all the services and everything else on top of that for them, just making sure that it's hardened for them, right? Because we've had customers who have purchased that one solution where they want to manage it themselves. I've seen them whitelist like their entire C drive and just allow everything to basically execute. I'm like, meh. That's going to be a problem for you. And it was actually because they were like, we got infected. It's your fault. But unfortunately, it's not really our fault when you start whitelisting stuff like that. So we try to avoid that scenario. Show me 100
0: firewalls. I'll show you 100 allow everything outbound policies.
2: Right. Allow, exactly. Allow everything. Right. At, yeah, that's at the bottom of the list. Right. Um, and then we also provide that proactive threat hunting, active breach containment. You talked about threat, you know, live remediation support. That, that's one of those deliverables, right? Like take action on my behalf because, I, you know, I could be at a Christmas party and I need your assistance doing that. And then we also have monthly meetings with every single one of our customer accounts with the primary stakeholder, um, you know, just to make sure that they're receiving the value out of the service that, you know, they're expecting. You know, are there any sort of enhancements that they're looking, are there any custom requests that they'd like to see from us? So we make sure we have that touch point with them. So it feels like a white glove service and they're not just a number, you know, as a part of our, you know, our overall MDR service. Just the final part point is, you know, if if customers want that full end to end complete XDR flavor, and you know, I use XDR, I really mean, you know, monitoring additional data sources beyond endpoint. You know, they could subscribe to that, right? Have the network sensor deployed, get network log traffic visibility. We can ingest all those additional, you know, event logs, firewall logs, and also cloud monitoring, and that seems to be like the winner. Like everyone pretty much goes with that because they want everything monitored. They just want to sit back and you know have someone else deal with it. The differentiator, look at that, perfect timing. Let's bring it up. So I call it the differentiator. Um, we call it zero dwell containment. Uh, you know, I mean, that's our marketing term. It's, it's an auto containment capability where what we're doing is we're virtualizing the hard drive, the registry, and the comm interface, right? So anything that is unknown, if it's an unknown hash to the world, if it's an unknown piece of script or code, we allow it to execute, but only in this container, basically, that exists on the endpoint, and there's almost negligible to zero um, overhead as well, right? We're not. I don't want to bring up the name, but Meromium from back in the day where they did a hypervisor across the whole device and brought everything down. We're a very small segment of of the operating system where we're intercepting those APIs, and I'll show you what that looks like kind of visually. Um, But we do it in a nice, elegant way, and we have patents for this capability. So no other vendor
0: can. So registry and common interface is very much Windows-specific terminology. Um, Endpoints run on Mac and you have people in Linux and et cetera, or is this a Windows-focused tool?
2: So so our, our initial go-to-market was with Windows, we're active development for Linux and Mac containment capabilities, right? You can understand some of the restrictions on Mac. It's been difficult with all the changes, especially with that OS over the last couple of years, um, but that containment capability is absolutely coming. We do have a lot of the antivirus type capabilities, you know, within Linux and Mac uh, today, and we, we support a ton of different Linux flavors as well. Um but that containment piece um isn't there yet.
0: You know, Linux shipped uh S E Linux I mean, I don't know, ten years ago and and uh most of the distros enabled S E Linux by default and it became like this default policy for anybody running Linux to disable S E Linux as part of their like install scripts. What's the user interaction? or the admin interaction as this thing is going. So when you say like, you know, zero containment and it's 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 virtualized.
2: Yeah, the experience, um, so f- the end user experience, this is all configurable as well. But let's say for example, if a phishing attachment comes in, right, to an end user, they open up that attachment and there's, you know, suspect code that's entrenched inside a PDF. Uh, there's gonna be a green container around the PDF notifying the user that something is going on in the background, right? That we've contained a piece of code, but we're still allowing the end user to interact with that Document right. They can view the contents, they can, you know, even edit the document and save it to the container, but it's not touching the actual hard drive, right? It's not being stored or saved anywhere on the disk um, itself. It's all virtualized right inside the container. So it doesn't, pre- you know, basically it prevents any sort of damage, right? From the code even running in the first place. And then once our Exidium verdict cloud does a determination on either that piece of code or that ha- that, you know, that binary to say, yes, it's safe. It then releases it from the container. Uh, and it's, it's it's really seamless to the end user. I'm
0: Are you providing this. this data reporting uh, back to admin, you know, admin users to say, hey, like this is the software that's running on your devices and you've got like this stuff running out there that you don't know about?
2: Yeah, so we we offer complete software inventory visibility. You can see every single version that's running, you know, every application that's executing, everything too that we've contained versus not contained. We also capture the script content uh, of whatever has been executed as well. And we can port that up to the console. Um, so if you want to even want to see the, the contents of a particular script that ran, you could do some reverse engineering or you know analyze that data as well because you're going to need that visibility sometimes if you need to do that human element, right? Just to make sure that you know it isn't something a little more nefarious but anything that's suspect right once again we're containerizing that and that's at execution time and then you know we have our full stack of course on the pre-execution and then the post-execution as a service so is everything
0: always running in a container or at some point um you know Cloud comes back and says yep we know this it's good it doesn't it doesn't run in
2: yeah, not everything, right? Everything that, so let's say, you know, SBC host executes or, you know, task list or any of those binaries execute on a program. We all know those are legitimate programs. They're all trusted, right? There's trusted hashes. They've been out there, you know, in the world for years or maybe even just a year, right? And it's trusted, no good. There's no, you know, behavioral um, anomalies associated with it. We allow it to run automatically, right? There's no, no, you know, no impact for anything that's once again unknown like if you search the hash on Google or VirusTotal right and it's completely unknown to the world no matter what it is we're containerizing it right we want to make sure and validate that it's safe before allowing it right the air and the water and everything else that it needs to breathe on an operating
0: so system. something gets through a you know an email filter user clicks a link, downloads a payload application, does something goes crazy. At what point do flags start getting raised of saying, you know, this thing is trying to talk laterally. It's trying to do something that it shouldn't be doing. It's trying to, it's talking to something we think is a command and control. Like, like how does that escalate through that? Like we haven't seen this before, you know, like now it's doing something strange to get rid of this thing. So it's immediate, immediately
2: flagged and contained, like once again, at execution almost. Pre, so, so pre-execution, we have something called FLS, which is a file lookup. So every single file that even exists on the disk right before it even executes, we're doing lookups and we're verdicting you know, all those different binaries. And the second that it runs, right, if it's unknown, we then submit that to the verdict cloud. If it starts doing things like really nefarious, we just, it gets killed, right? Once again, these are all controls or knobs you can turn if you want it to automatically killed, automatically get wiped from the container, you can do that. Or if you just want to allow it to still exist within the container and have the container wiped a day later, you could do that, right? We recommend having that thing killed immediately because you know, we don't want any risk, you know, occurring to the end user, because let's say they open up a document, it tries to run some code, but maybe there's also a link in there that takes them to a website that they're trying to fish credentials, Like Credential phishing is tough to stop, right? Because you you don't, there's no malware necessarily associated with, it. they're just asking for your password. And once they have that, boom, they're in, right? They're in your environment, especially when you don't have two-factor, like maybe they, they're looking for your Office 365 login. Um, we see that quite a bit as well. Um, and I can show you, of how that works right so you know how we go about doing that right is defeating zero day attacks we call it kernel api virtualization and there's really five objects i only have three on the other slide but it's file system registry kernel objects, services and that com interface and that's where we layer in we, we we provide this virtualization layer and this is what it kind of looks like from more of a graphic
0: you know, how much overhead does this add to a computer you know if, if you're dealing with an aging fleet and now you know this you know their 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 desktops their laptops have to you know are running this in addition to you know running what their applications are is this is this something where you have to factor in at a certain size i mean is this like hey we've got to make sure we have this much ram or this much cpu capacity it's or incredibly
2: lightweight you can run this thing on an xp with you know 512 megabytes of ram we've, we've seen it run no problem i feel um, bad I, for those because people because all we're doing is I do feel bad. They still exist, by the way, you know, and Windows 2000 servers. I mean, what's going on, guys? But once again, it's just API interception, right? We're intercepting those APIs and just redirecting them. So we're not, we're not, you know, building a whole hypervisor or consuming all these resources to, you know, containerize it. It's just interception with, you know, a thin restriction layer. But yeah, that question comes up quite a bit, right? Because you know any sort of endpoint that you're adding or agent to what you're adding to the endpoint is that's the question. What's the impact on memory? What's the impact on resources?
0: I've had some um, secure internet access, you know, SWG clients, and you install it and you put it on a cell phone, and then you just watch the battery you just kind of go and just end, and you're like, what? What? What did this thing just do? Yeah, I can't use this. That's great, like, like wonderful. You know, main, kind of kind of small problem there.
2: Um, uh, yeah, you know, so, so we were doing a POC one time at my last company and listen, there was no fault of, of my last company, but we were running our solution on a Mac and the battery caught fire <laughs> okay. and somehow they literally blamed it on the agent. They're like, your agent has so much overhead that it caught. a. I mean, look, that one's still to TBD is what I call it. It's to be determined if that was really the case, but yeah, if you've got something that's heavy, I mean, it does drain and have a, you know, an operational impact of the battery.
0: Segue a little bit here. Um, Sim and XDR. Um, this becomes a really confusing, you know, um, sales motion, right? You know, you start talking about sims and you start, you know, questions become like, okay, let's try to size this environment, right? You know, you get to a converse point where it's, how much does this cost? And, and that becomes, well, how much data are you sending? And, you're, and, and um, I think. 100 out of 100 companies are probably also going to say, I have absolutely no idea how much data and telemetry data I'm going to send to your sum." So from a sizing exercise of somebody that's actually looking at this, and, and, and of course at once, how do you go through that sizing exercise with that, with that company? And how much variability do you see, you know, company to company based on utilization?
2: Yeah, uh, Max, this is where you're going to think we're a little insane with how we price uh, that. Um, we actually don't take that into consideration. We just price it per endpoint. So we don't we don't actually look at how much data we're ingesting.
0: I, I actually don't think you're insane. I actually really like that answer because it makes it really easy to explain. Super easy. Yeah. Yeah. Because the other way is insane. It makes it... It's hard. It's It's impossible. I mean, if yeah, you like haven't... What's
2: the gigabytes per... Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay, so great. So
2: we've, we've made it a lot easier on the sales people for a reason, right? And then the reason why we do that too is because... know, we've got some accounts who ingest very little, maybe it's a a couple thousand events per day. And then we got ones that are, you know, over the top, right. So it it levels out from a pricing perspective. Um, You know, we still, you know, hit our margins fine, you know, with doing that, but it also removes that complexity from the conversation because no one wants to, you know, figure that
0: out. You can't, it, so, you can't, it's impossible. You a
2: hundred percent agree with you. You're
0: All like, right. okay, great. We have, you know, 2000 endpoints and X amount of virtual instances running in, in these places, plus, you know, office 365 plus this, plus that. And you're like, okay, great. What does that mean for us? You know? And then you get a spreadsheet and it's like, oh, we think you're gonna be this much data. And you're like, but it could be more, it could be less. We'll find out.
2: Yeah. The way that we approach that. And that's why like the salespeople love that model and we're just going to keep going down that. um, onboarding deployment. Almost feels like a breeze too. Um, you know, typically we have an implementation, you know, kickoff call where we go through, you know, what what does Xenium installation configuration look like? We do testing and deployment. Um, you know, this is where we, you know, discuss all the the, the technical details right of the deployment. It's very easy because what we do is we spin up an environment. This takes a matter of not even minutes. It takes maybe a minute to spin up an environment. Um, And then there's packages that you can be downloaded that only communicate with that specific environment, right? So we keep it multi-tenanted. It's very easy uh, for, for deployment. They can leverage any tool that they want to, you know, do deployment, you know, through, and then you know, stage one is enabling all these different things you see there on the left, right? That's our full stack, you know, file rating, Bioscope, HIPS, firewall. We call it stage one. It's kind of like the learning phases, even with our host intrusion prevention. We do a heuristic like learning mode, let's baseline your gold image. And then you know, after stage one, maybe a week or two weeks, uh, we, we convert it over to stage two, and then you're off to the races, right? If someone wants something super locked down, you can go to stage three, and then you can start getting more granular in terms of what you wanna block on. Um, but typically stage two covers all the bases, uh, you know, protecting your environment from zero days and, and everything else. Um, but the implementation is just comes in term in the in the form of PS professional service hours, um, and there's not a lot of hours really that takes to do these sort of deployments. Um, it's it's very straightforward and easy, especially if you do you know MDR because we're managing it at all for you. So really, it's just you know meeting with the client, making sure they're comfortable with everything, showing them you know how to log in and see tickets and you know how to file help desk requests if they have any sort of issues. But everything is managed for them, right? So they don't have to do a lot um and then deployment just kind of takes it from there so we just kind of guide them through this process review the status and they're off to the races um so we can move as fast as you know they're able to move basically
0: so this is kickoff you're going to have a a weekly check-in make sure everything's moving forward after after deployment you know what kind of interaction i mean besides like hey you can log into our our console and you can see you know data are you doing monthly updates is this quarterly updates is this weekly updates i mean what's the What's the back and forth?
2: Yep. Yep. It's, um, it's, it's monthly, right? So it's, we, we set up monthly calls with them. We have a whole customer success team as well that'll engage. We have multiple touch points. Um, you know, the stock team will engage with them. Also a customer success team will engage. Uh, professional services will only come back if they need additional hours for other setups. Maybe they want to expand into XDR and deploying network sensors. You know, they can pay two hours, right? And then boom, they're off to the races. But we think it's, Absolutely critical, right, to connect with our customers on that regular cadence. Because you wait quarterly or any longer than that, they forget about you. Then comes, you know, renew time, they're going to say, What have you done for me? You know, and especially with smaller shops, it becomes a problem. Like you have 20 endpoints and I'm giving you MDR and I haven't given you any malware alerts. It's because maybe you you have a boring environment, basically, right? There's not a lot that goes on.
0: Um, MDR has become a very crowded space. There's a a relatively small amount of EDR vendors, you know, people that are actually producing EDR agents, and some are trying to push, you know, or have pushed into the MDR space and saying, okay, we're going to provide MDR services on top of our EDR platform. There's a lot of companies in the market now that are saying that they run socks, saying that they have an MDR, that As companies, I mean, as this this gets more crowded and more noisy and more confusing, how does somebody actually go through the process of figuring out, uh, we try to do it ourselves, we couldn't because we realize it's just trying trying to buy it off too much. We just don't have the expertise and we're not trying to do this ourselves. So we know we want, you know, endpoint protection and we know that we want an MDR and we know we want to have, you know, these other things layered into it. How do they decide at that point? Like,
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the prospects that we talk to, um, you know, that, that come under these calls, I mean, they might have what they think in mind is everything that they need, you know, to kind of be put in place. But once they see the range, of, even you said it during the, the conversation, oh, you guys offer patch management capabilities or visibility, they might not even realize where they could also replace other technologies that they have deployed. So I think it comes like, um, I kind of need an MDR service, or I need maybe EDR or something like that. And then it kind of, we broaden that horizon. We say, by the way, you could do, you know, you can replace all these other things over the course of, you know, this relationship, right? You could purchase a part of it now. And then as you expand, we can replace, and I think it kind of comes down to, What we provide as a part of the service is also security guidance. I think having that reliance, right? Like a breach-free warranty and free incident response services. We need to differentiate ourselves a little bit, right? Compared to the other MDR players. And that's where we would like to focus. Not always on price. I don't, I hate differentiating on price. You know, you never want, you don't want to be the cheapest thing in the market, right? Because then what is your value? But We like to differentiate on the service, right? That we offer. And then, obviously, the capabilities as well.
1: Just to touch on that warranty too, as cybersecurity insurance is a huge focus for companies. And can we get it? What's it going to cost? That warranty and some of the check boxes uh, that we help with, we hope helps drive that cybersecurity insurance down for companies.
0: I'm really curious what happens with cybersecurity insurance here as as you know this year continues and the following years, because there's been a lot of large carriers starting to exclude and step back from providing cyber, insu- you know, cybersecurity insurance and, and remediation insurance. And I mean, so you know, like Lloyd's of London was a pretty big warning shot, right? We're not going to insure and uh, pay out for, you know, state sponsored hacking. I think for a while there was this idea of like, oh, we can go get cyber insurance. And then it became a strategy of how do we make our cyber insurance cheaper oh if you get these tools your policy costs you less and and then that would take care of it you know i i don't know how much that that persists in that lasts. yeah we, you know going forward we
1: hear that all the time that there's that fear that it, it may just go away because at the end of the day insurance companies are a business they're there to make a profit and they keep shelling money out for these incidents Oh, it's going
0: to go away. You mentioned dentists. So my dentist, I can remember when they went digital, right? So integrated, you know, computers at every, at every, every bed, right? And, but I mean, 20 computers, 25 computers in their office, probably not really sophisticated in the sense of at 25, 20, you know, twenty twenty five computers, you're going to have a sophisticated IT operation, but sophisticated that everything's digital. X-rays went digital. Everything's on that computer. It's, you know, you can't, if that turns off, I don't know, what they would or would not be able to do people now at this point looking at it and say, okay, you know, we're a dentist and we were at a dental association meeting and we heard a horror story from this other dental office that had ransomware that, that, that crippled their business. And so now we're going to go out and investigate this and, and go find this.
2: Yeah. I mean, Max, I think sometimes you even answer your own question sometimes when you ask the question, because that's exact, I mean, that's exactly what we've seen. And especially, the, I mean, I get anxiety going to the dentist when I see like their, their post-it notes literally on the, like the screen, like their admin password. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like anyone can walk into this chair, know your you know credentials to get in, and your Wi-Fi is open, so I can just hop on your network. I don't have access to your network. I can log into your domain controller, whatever, right? Like it's just readily available. So I've at least hardened my dental office, um, you know, through advice. I tried to get a lower bill, that didn't happen um, because those those dentists they know how to charge.
0: Al- altruistic. It was altruistic cybersecurity.
2: Yeah, right. So, so we're seeing more and more just. Businesses out of nowhere, even car dealerships are asking for protection because they're concerned about that five hundred thousand dollar ransomware note. Um, we have a, a, I have a good friend who actually runs, it's not a dealership, it's um, what's well, just a law, firm, small little law firm, right? But they got ransomware and they had to pay out three hundred thousand dollars because they didn't have all the other controls like backups and everything else. And she's like, my, like, how do I, I, don't, I can't even support, like, pay for that. So I think they're now just scared of that nightmare scenario, and they're just they're paying for these services and you
0: know. predictions for, you know, uh, it's what is it? It's now it's March. It's March of twenty three. I had to look at the calendar because my brain doesn't work that way anymore. Um, you know, predictions for the rest of the year, next year. I mean, so one of the biggest things that I used to track and follow really closely was this idea of dwell time. You know, how how long did somebody get on a network and sit on the network before they launched an attack and. You know a few years ago it was you know 200 plus days of dwell time and now these stats have gotten really short you know like a couple of days of dwell time and 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 lots of sophistication around like you know the hierarchy of um attackers right where you know maybe somebody gets gets into a network and then immediately flips that credential to somebody else And then that other person, you know, that other team, that other group, that other person, whatever it is, is going to go out and actually investigate and figure out what they can extract out of that. You know, are we going to see more companies investing in this? Is that going to tip the scales? Are we going to see more horror stories like Colonial Pipeline of like people pumping gas into the back of their cars and you know, tarps, like what's...
2: Yeah, Max, it's, I think it's only going to get worse. And I hate to use, you know, even examples like chat GPT, you know, writing its own malware and, you know, behavior, I mean, I could ask chat GPT to write, you know, a signature from the MITRE framework and it writes it perfectly for me. Right. And I say, put it in Splunk format or something. It's like, when you get to that level of capability and then adversaries start leveraging it, they're only going to become harder and harder. It, the defender's job is, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's almost impossible. Right. I mean, because you kind of get to this point. And the dwell time is extremely scary, especially when you get to state-sponsored cases where it's not even a days; it's a matter of hours. Right? It's a, it's an eight-hour work shift where they know exactly what they're going after. We've worked cases where we've seen that in the timeline. It was you know from eight a.m. their time to you know around four p.m. you know China time. Break I mean, break
0: for lunch. Break break for lunch.
2: I see you see you see the act. Yeah, no, it literally dips during lunchtime, um, and you know it's. It's sad, right, that we've gotten to that point. I mean, we I, I remember when I had my first child that was in the delivery room, we had a nation state threat actor get into get into our organization. They broke in and I was working the case while working the delivery room and I said, That's it. I I'm not working on Chinese New Year. Like let's have let's have the child during Chinese New Year because then I know we won't be breached.
0: So some organizations have A higher risk profile, right? You know, obviously banks, casinos and financial organizations, you know, there's a risk profile. If you're industrial and you're manufacturing, you have intellectual property, right? There's, you know, you're at a different risk profile, Uh, you know, the majority of companies or, you know, nonprofits, NGOs, you know, whatever it is, healthcare organizations are going to say, you know, we're not a target because we don't, you know, we don't have, you know, like we don't have anything that people want, right? Which is not true. How much of this is just like low hanging fruit, you know, where if you've taken like very menial steps right you know like like just the simple stuff of just do you have two-factor authentication deployed do you have a decent endpoint deployed i mean how how much does that really eradicate that risk from you know these non-targeted attacks just just moving on. It's not worth the energy to spend any more time here.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's groups dedicated to just that initial infiltration and then they sell that access and that's the low-hanging fruit. Fr- I mean, those people are making out. Like they're they're selling that access to ransomware operators and then ransomware operators will come in, move laterally, deploy their own ransomware. Um, you know, that is low-hanging fruit, but even these large organizations, casinos and banks and stuff, like they have these IoT devices now and they neglect, they might neglect, because that one fish tank one, was, wasn't was that a casino? That was a casino, I think out in Vegas. Um, but anything that's internet connected is attack surface, right? It's readily available for anyone that, that, you know, uh, that, that can access that. So, um, you know, I, I, think to, to that point, it's, I don't think it matters what organization you are big, small, or the level of security controls you have in place. There's always a vector for an adversary to get in and they're going to take advantage of that. It doesn't matter. Um, so we're seeing a, a, but a massive increase in these lower hanging fruits, though. And that's what we see because we're now in this market. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the reason why I'm seeing it more because now we're, we're finally selling for that. My last company, we focused on enterprise and all we saw was you know, larger you know targeted. But we see this consistently now, even in the headlines. And a lot of times it's not even reported. Like my friend, it's not like that got reported in the news, but we didn't hear about it. Right, so I think it's hard to also capture those
0: metrics on a piece of news hit last night this morning, um, and it's a proposal from the White House to shift cybersecurity requirements from organizations into technology providers. And you know, it's it's vague, and it says uh, you know legislation will be proposed you know sometime in twenty four for this, but it's. It, you know, I read that of course, as it's saying, okay, Microsoft is now your fault. You know, your responsibility to make sure that all your customers are secure if they're using office 365. Is that doing a disservice, you know, to the average organization in terms of what their roles and risks and responsibilities are versus, you know, what other people are going to take care of? I mean, I'm not saying this like as an anti-Microsoft or anti-Google thing, but they're going to have a carve out in this legislation that says, oh, you know, if you didn't secure your password, you know we were not liable for it, right? Like there's reasonable like levels of care that have to be conducted, you know, taken. Otherwise it's just, it's not reasonable for us to be responsible for it.
2: At the same time, like I would love Microsoft to be responsible actually. Like, because if they didn't detect a piece of malware, then they might come and say, well, you didn't buy our advanced protection, you know, or APT, you know, threat level service. I'm like, what is that about? You know what I mean? Like you're, you're supposed to stop malware on my endpoint, your windows defender. Um, And it's not just them. I don't think it should be placed on the vendors. I think, I do think these businesses have a level of responsibility in security. I do wish the government would stay out of that, but maybe you need to push not just the vendors, but also organizations to have that, you know, minimum level of security, like to factor off it, like make it a standard like that. That needs to be in place. If you're protecting customer data, or you're protecting anything, your own business. I mean, we need to have a certain level of control. But that's a tough one, man. You know that that becomes a huge political debate. To be honest with you, you know, like who's responsible? Um, Because we could be held responsible if we didn't protect a piece of malware. That's why we offer money back. Here's a breach-free warranty. You know, we think about that. We try to be nice.
0: I I don't think that government regulation or insurance is going to be the saving grace for us you know i i for a long time i actually thought that it was either going to be government regulation or insurance was going to be the saving grace to actually force like reasonable cybersecurity postures for most companies and i'm i'm not holding my breath for that anymore and um and it's the the risk of this is terrifying i mean you know i've had hospitals you know call us after they've been breached and it's You know it's it's then you then you get into like really scary stuff where like oh we've got to start you know transferring patients from one hospital to another hospital because we can't you know provide care because we don't we can't and that that stuff is really scary it's uh
2: i do think the government also is a little choosy with who they help protect um so i don't know if i'm getting in trouble for saying this but you know even at that large organization that i worked for i would have a three-letter agency come and knock on my door and say hey search your SIM for this IP address, you're owned. And we know this. So they have insight into everything, right? That's transpiring across these networks and stuff, but they were right. Like we had a nation state adversary that that got past our defenses. They had a command and control, you know, foothold. They just told us, I mean, did they tell everybody that stuff? I doubt it, right? I mean, it could be a bandwidth issue, but you know, that sort of stuff too kind of also piques my interest. Like, how did you know that?
0: I think I wouldn't wanna be in charge of making those decisions. You know, because because on the one side, it's like you want to alert people and you want to protect people and you want to share people. But then you always kind of counter that with the you don't want the adversary to know that you know what the adversary is doing. Right. Right. And like trying to make that call and and like, I'm okay not not having that responsibility right now in my life. I've got I can't imagine it, to be honest with you, because it's not just one organization. It's
2: probably a plethora, right, that they have command and control access to. So they probably want a larger sting takedown operation. I get that. Um, but it's like, how do you get that relationship to going where you're getting some of those tips so you can protect your, your trade secrets? Cause if they see something, they're not always saying something. And that gives the adversary dwell time, which then gives them the chance to exfiltrate data.
0: Exidium straddles an interesting fence here where you're manufacturing, where you're creating intellectual property and you have an endpoint, And then you're providing MDR services as well. How adversarial or friendly is this industry with each other you know i mean is there like a secret convention of edr vendors that get together and share notes or mdr services you know at some level of of like this is what we're seeing and you know we're all in this together i mean because it's i mean adoption of these things as a percentage basis i mean you know the tam for for endpoint is every device ever made right and the tam for mdr is every organization running a device ever made so you know the tams are infinite on both sides so then it's 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 now people actually adopting this technology hasn't really caught. Co- you know, I mean, there's there's we, we've got years of work ahead of us in, in adoption of technology, but but it's not like a total TAM, you know, it's not a TAM issue. It's we don't have a secret society, um, if anything, it's a it's a and
2: I've seen this. Unfortunately, we I at all costs avoid this is is the whole is the bad mouthing or even trying to say that they don't have all of these capabilities. Have you ever seen those side by side? Like, show me a, a battle card of this technology versus all your others. What you do is you say, oh, they only have two of the 37 things and we have 37 of 37 things. It's so dishonest and it's not even true. I can't stand battle cards.
0: My version of that is show me an RFP and I'll tell you who wrote it.
2: (laughs) Right. Exactly. So you don't know exactly who did it or they'll... They'll say, you know, we—they basically write your your services that you provide, but it's, maybe that's not even true. So, look, I think EDR vendors—they pay attention to the capabilities and the services and stuff that they offer. I think there's some that you know try to outdo one another with marketing and whatnot. I, we're trying to avoid that noise. I know sometimes we, we might generate some noise when we probably shouldn't, but we try to focus on the customers and just focus on our go-to-market strategy, right? Focus on MDR for the masses, people who can't afford the, the larger names and let's see how successful we can be. Offer them a white glove service. I mean, that's we've been successful so far, you know, so let's continue to do that. But I think when you start worrying about other vendors, it can become a problem.
0: So uh, Danny, somebody that is Exidium Curious, uh, we've talked a little bit about deployment and onboarding, but you know, what is that? You know, process and timeline. I mean, how fast? How slow? What does it take? What's average engagements? How do people get started? You know, what does this kind of look like for a company that's out in the market and evaluating bringing cybersecurity into their organization? And
1: yeah, we have some fantastic cyber uh cybersecurity sales specialists, and they have we have inbounds, so we have people you know, calling, emailing, reaching out with our BDR team. We've seen in instances, especially when there has been an issue, they realize that there's an issue or a breach, we've seen these close very quickly in less than a couple of days. For a normal sales cycle, obviously the engagement, we get involved, we understand their environment, kind of the process Bandos kind of spoke to with the deployment, right? That's mirrored with our discovery, with our sales teams. Um, they go through, they understand the environment. We make sure that we fit the right product and service uh, to what they really need. Um, but we can see the sell cycle still be very quickly because you hate to sell on fear, but there is fear out there in the marketplace. No, no doubt about it. So these are actually a little bit faster sell cycles um, than what I'm accustomed to from other parts of the tech stack at you know, UC and CCAS. So you can see anything from... 30, 45 days up, depending on the enterprise. Uh, But again, it's that white glove approach, not just at deployment and onboarding with Bando's team, but from the very beginning. We're gonna have the opportunity to deep dive, give a demo, have proposals, have conversations and discussions about what it looks like and then rope in those teams Uh, Bando's deployment, our customer success team. So white glove approach from the beginning.
0: You know, I don't want to call you like a professional services or consultant, right? But you know, when you think about that level of service, I mean, if you go out and you need an internet circuit for your office, you can go out and say, okay, it's relatively commoditized, you know, uh, vendor, a, B, C, D can provide service to this location. You know, which one do you like? Which one do you not like? Which one has a better pricing promo? And, and it's a relatively easy decision. You look at this, it's not as clear cut, especially if a company hasn't purchased this before, hasn't been down this road, isn't, you know, comparing with an existing service. How do you help them through that of like, okay, you know, you know, we're looking at Exidium and because we have a corporate policy, we're looking at, you know, X, Y, and Z as well. How do you help them increase certainty? And and what's that, you know, process like to, you know, bring people across the bridge of like, you know, this is, you know, lowering risk, increasing certainty and understanding the outcome they're going to actually get.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I believe that we do have the opportunity that throughout that, sales cycle and making them more comfortable with our people with our processes with the platform itself we also do offer a poc right let's let's take it for a test drive let us show you what it looks like in your environment our pocs um are, are pretty brief uh you know we go in we throw some attacks at it let it test it out they have that time to really get comfortable with the controls and the admin and what the dashboard looks like um and once the POC is over, again, the deployment, the teams, everyone's wrapped around this customer. It, it is a big decision. This is what's going to protect your company, right? And we take that very seriously.
0: Okay, so with a car buying analogy, they can kick the tires, they can take a POC, they can sell the agent on a few devices, they can get a feel for it, they can see it running, you can simulate some stuff against it, they can understand what they're getting themselves into and, and use that as part of a purchase decision. Absolutely. Um, Tim, Danny, any last words? Not really that ominous, but is there anything we have not covered here? Are there any hidden slides? I think we actually got to the end of the slide deck.
2: (laughs) I think for any listeners or people who want to learn a little bit more, you know, engaging with us, I mean, you can even go to openedr.com and spin up a free instance yourself. Um, you know, typically we like to kind of handhold you through that process, make sure you're comfortable with it. But for customers who want to just dive right in, they can actually go out and, and spin up a free instance, but we, we we recommend, you know, checking us out, right? I mean, I know we're once again, a relatively newer name to the long list of MDR Xenium players, but we offer a really great service. You know, the individuals on my team all have, you know, 15 to 20 plus years of experience in instant response. All of our SOC level one analysts have at least five to six plus years of experience. So we we really have put together, you know, a solid team, right? We don't have entry level analysts who just started out. We really have people who understand the cybersecurity industry.
1: So I'm actually gonna counter him a little bit. Any listeners that are interested in Exidium, please reach out to Max Clark. (laughs) On top of all of the wonderful resources we've spoken to um, and explained, Max actually has, in our channel program, has additional resources on top of that. We have our team there to support Max's uh, client base. We have um, additional escalation points, uh, executive support um, from the highest level. Our CEO, uh, Ken Levine, he's wonderful. Um, so we have a full team backing Max and dedicated to him for our channel partners.
0: You're gonna make me blush. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: you can just edit my comment. <laughs>
1: that was much better. Also, I just have to say, Max, knowing Tim Bandos, I think he knows the first rule of Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club, so I'm going to have to pin him down about those secret societies. I'm not, I'm not believing that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Guys, thank you very much. This is great. Uh, I appreciate it. There's a lot of noise and I do this for a living and there's a lot of noise and it's confusing to understand and figure out. And I mean, sometimes these things become easy of like, you know, there's only one path or two paths, it makes sense. And then sometimes it gets really hard and cybersecurity is one of those things that's not really cut and dry anymore. There's so many factors and there's so many potential outcomes um, and there's so much noise and um, making sure that people have a good experience and a positive outcome is really important. I agree, Max, yeah, well said. Thank you guys. Thank you. All right. Thank
2: you so much. Have a great day.